Good morning. Let me pray. And as I was sitting there, I was thinking about some things. And I want to, so let me pray maybe a little bit differently than we often pray. Lord, I, you are present among us. Um, we know that. We pray that you, we will be listening to you this morning, uh, particularly that I'll be listening to you this morning, but that we will just know that you are present. And it occurred to me as I was singing and singing that, that there are people in here that are normally here, or that are often here, who are just dealing with a lot of things in their lives. We think of the health challenges that people are facing, and, and I know of several, but there are probably a lot more and that I'm not aware of. And, and, and the family issues and the family struggles and the, the heartbreak that comes with some of these things, and, and it's just unimaginable to me sometimes what some of our brothers and sisters in the Lord are dealing with. Um, but I, I'm reminded of what Paul said where we're hard-pressed on every side, but we're not defeated because your spirit is at work in us to sustain us and empower us. So I pray for my, my brothers and sisters. I pray for your family here and that, that you will be present in their lives and they will know that you are present in their lives. In the name of Christ, amen. So we've been doing a series Let's see. I don't know if I... What do you think? Should I sit? I'll sit. Um, we've been doing this... No, I'm going to stand. <laughs> we've been doing a series called The Beginner's Guide to the Sermon on the Mount. And you may... The Sermon on the Mount is found in Matthew chapters 5, 6, and 7. And you may look at it and say, well, okay, I'm not exactly a beginner here. But I would suggest to you that all of us are beginners. When it comes to these topics, all of, no matter how far we've gone, we're still all beginners. Uh, Dan has suggested uh, that, we, that we read it. Just sit down and read it. And imagine that you're one of the disciples, one of the followers of Christ, or one of the other people there who are overhearing what he's saying, and what Jesus is saying. And just as if you're hearing it for the first time. Just, it'll take you, if you have half an hour, probably you can read chapters five, six, and seven. The introductory, the, the Beatitudes will take you just a few minutes. And at the beginning, just imagine you're, the, you're hearing it for the first time. It's hard to do, actually, to think of it as that you, this is the first time I've heard these words because it is so familiar to us. A lot of it is just very familiar. Even if you're not someone who grew up in a church culture, you know a lot of these words. You've heard the Lord's Prayer. You've heard the expression, the salt of the earth. You've, um, you know about blessed are the peacemakers. My wife, Deb, is a quilter, and she has a t-shirt, and if you go to quilt shows, you'll often see this t-shirt that says, blessed are the peacemakers, P-I-E-C-E. -E. So it's an, a familiar enough phrase that you can make a word play on it. Even Monty Python made a, made a joke about it, right? So, so these are familiar phrases. You may have heard of turn the other cheek, right? And you know, all of these are familiar phrases. You may even have heard of the, you know, there's a, a wide gate and a broad path 
and there's a narrow gate and a steep and difficult path. You may have heard that too. Maybe you heard it a different way. Maybe you heard it as there's a highway to hell, but there's merely a stairway to heaven. I don't think that's directly in the Sermon on the Mount. That's my only scripted joke. So, all right. Any of the others are spontaneous. If you're, if you're like me and you grew up going to church and Sunday school your whole life, I mean, most of these have been memory verses. Most of the Sermon on the Mount have been memory verses at, at Sunday school and youth group. and so, so it's, But as you read it, you say, this is really something different. And try to imagine reading it for the first time. Jesus is describing what he calls the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God or just simply the kingdom. And it's really not like any other kingdom we know about. It's, in fact, it's so totally different than the kingdoms that, that we know about, the kingdoms of this world, that people have thought for a long, some people have thought for a long time, well, you know, he's describing heaven. You know, we're sitting on the clouds playing harps, and that's what he's describing. That's not what heaven's going to be like, I'm pretty sure, because no cloud would sustain this kind of a mass. But, um, but you know, um, or others have said, well, he's describing maybe a kingdom in the future when there's a peaceable kingdom and a millennium. And so he's not describing this world now. But in fact, he may have been describing those things, but he was also describing this world now. He was talking to his disciples. This is what this kingdom of God is like. And we can experience it now. We'll experience it in the future. We'll experience it later on. But it isn't entirely for the future because we do have it now. There may be future fulfillments, and there will be. But we don't have to defer everything until then. It's the way we can live now. So it's really not like any other kingdom. You think about kingdoms, it's, it, it, the kingdoms have been defined by geography. Yeah, this kingdom's not defined by geography. Kingdoms have laws and parliaments and, and you know, ruling bodies, and this doesn't have that, really. They have military and economic power. That's not the kingdom he's talking about. Some kingdoms go back a little ways. They're described by marriage, like this queen married this king. and, you know, and they, uh, It's not like that. This isn't described by that. It's defined by just one thing. What is our personal relationship to the king, to God? What is our relationship to the king and to him to us? A month or so ago, Queen Elizabeth died. And there was an outpouring of grief and celebration, celebration sort of, um, for who she had been and what it meant. But of all those people, how many of them do you think knew her? How many of them do you think had ever talked to her? How many do you think she would have known their names? Well, probably not very many. But in our kingdom, the king knows everybody's name. And we all talk to the king. It's a completely different situation. Think about a company. If you don't want to think about kingdoms, think about a company. And maybe you work for a large company and so on, or you have in the past. How many people does the CEO talk to? Not a whole lot. Compared to the 
folks on the loading dock or the people in the mail room or the administrative assistants or the, they talk to everybody, right? They are the people who know, but the CEO, no, no, access to him is very, very limited. Well, it's not like that. The kingdom of God is access to God is not limited in any way. We can talk to him at any time he talks to us. So it's really very different. So for followers of Christ, we are constantly living in these two kingdoms. We're living in the kingdom of this world defined by the society and the rules and the things we know. And we're also describing, we're also living in the kingdom of heaven. They're very, very different. I, uh, I often get frustrated or infuriated even by the kingdom of this world. You get fed up by the, I get, maybe you know, but I do. I get fed up because the people with power get more power and more privilege. Somehow they get off the hook and us lowly people don't. That's not right. And the weak and lowliest members of the kingdom get, exclusive, get excluded more and more often. We feel like you know, we don't know what's going on most of the time. Good people get trampled on, but the wicked prosper. That's even a biblical phrase. Um, we can pursue happiness. It's in our Declaration of Independence about the pursuit of happiness. But we pursue happiness, and it seems pretty elusive. And then when we find the things that we think are going to be successful, we say, well, that's really? Really? That's, is that all there is? Is that what it's like? And it sort of leaves us empty thinking about what this would be. I don't know how old you were, but I'm sure you were very, very young, because I was very young, and my children and my grandchildren were very young, when we said, hey, life isn't fair. How many times have you heard it? Hey, life isn't fair. I know life isn't fair. Does it have to keep reminding me of that? I don't need more reminders of how unfair life is. We, hear, we know it all the time. That's the kingdom of the world. But if you read the Sermon on the Mount, as Jesus is describing God's kingdom or the kingdom of heaven, you say, huh, I like this kingdom. Let's talk about a kingdom where those who mourn are not merely consoled by people who say, well, hope for the best, things will work out, but actually comforted by the living and powerful God of the universe. By the people who say, no, no, you go first. I don't need to push to the front of the line. Those are the people who find themselves, as the message puts it, as the proud owners of everything that can't be bought. Those who let others go first and are willing to take second place, they become, the, they become the proud owners of things that can't be bought. Those who are hunger, who want to see justice and righteousness prevail, are satisfied, even to the fullest, and so on and so on. I like this kingdom. I like the sounds of this kingdom. So how do I get to live in this kingdom? What, what kind of an what kind of entry permit do I need? What kind of an admission ticket do I need? What kind, what kind of a visa do I need to live in this kingdom, to move into that kingdom rather than this one? Okay, so 
we can add the first slide. Get the scripture up here so I can read it for myself. Okay. He sat down, his disciples came to him, and he began to teach them. And he said, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they'll be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. That's the one we're going to talk about today. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called the children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who, came, who were before you. So in these verses, Jesus is describing the characteristics, the personalities, the personal qualities of the citizens of the kingdom of heaven. This is what we should be like. And it all begins with verse 3. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom in heaven. This is the entry permit. This is the admissions ticket right here. The poor in spirit, for they'll be king, they'll, theirs is the kingdom of heaven. That's what Jesus says. Right? Everything else follows from that. What does it mean to be poor in spirit? It means recognizing that I can't do this on my own. I can't live life on my own. I lack the wisdom, I lack the resources I, that, that are necessary for the most important parts of life. I just can't do this. That I am getting near the end of my rope and I have nothing else to call on except I can call on God. That's the poor in spirit. That's the attitude that says, there's the kingdom of heaven. Everything, that's what allows us to have this deeper relationship with the king, with God. That I don't have anything on my own. That's what allows us to see what God is doing, what he has already done, and, what, and have the faith and hope that this is what he's going to happen in the future. It's not a tit-for-tat kingdom, like the kind we're used to, where I, I am merciful for you, for example, so you'll show mercy to me, so I get something back. It's something that we see what God has already done and is accomplishing. This kingdom consists entirely of our relationship with him. And the rest of the Beatitudes, in fact, the rest of the Sermon on the Mount, follow from that initial poor in spirit relationship. It's not a set of actions or things we do. We don't go try working for peace just because it's a good thing. It is a good thing. But we work for peace because we're poor in spirit. We comfort those who mourn because we know that sin has broken this world. We can be meek and humble and say, no, no, you go first. 
Not because we expect to have things back, but because we know that God has already accomplished these things. And we don't have to push ourselves forward. So the poor in spirit are also the ones who, who mourn, who are meek, who long for righteousness, who make peace rather than provoke conflicts, and so on. They're not separate activities, but they're all parts of the same personal character. Knowing that I can't do this on my own and I can't live this way. For me, trying to live as a faithful citizen of the kingdom of heaven, verse 7 may be the most difficult part. This next slide. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Or in the message, you are blessed when you care. At the moment of being careful, that is full of care, you find yourselves cared for. By nature, I'm not a person of mercy. I'm just not. I'm not particularly cruel. I'm not vindictive. I'm not... I'm not, you know, I'm not mean-spirited particularly, but many times I simply don't care about anybody else. I'm a fan of Bob Dylan songs, and I want to use two lyrics from Bob Dylan, not to talk about Bob Dylan, but to talk about, I think, all of us experience. As a young man, Bob Dylan wrote a lyric that says, sometimes it gets so hard to care. It can't be this way everywhere. I know that feeling. It's hard to care. Let me, let me look for something else. Let me look for some other place. Let me look for some other relationship. Because this one is just hard to care. He wrote that as a young man. 35 years later, he wrote a different one. And this one takes a little unpacking, so I'll annotate it as I go. People are crazy and times are strange. Uh, yeah, pretty self-explanatory, we all know that. People are crazy and times are strange. I'm locked up tight, I'm out of range. In other words, I'm not going to express anything and nothing can touch me, you can't hit me, nothing can come close to me, I'm out of range. People are crazy and times are strange. I'm locked up tight, I'm out of range. I used to care, but things have changed. This may describe the typical course of our human experience. When we're young, we care. We find things to be idealistic about, we care about this, we get involved in this, we care about this. And and something doesn't work out. We get burned. And as we get older, so maybe we start looking for something else to care about. And as we get older, we become less caring and less, more cynical, more, less merciful, hardened to the ways of the world. We say, eh, that's just the way life is. I used to care, but things have changed. Well, it may be typical, but it's not who we should be as followers of Christ. It's not who the citizens of God's kingdom are. I'm going to tell a story about me. It's a personal story, and um, 
I hesitated all week about whether to share this because it makes me look really bad. Back 40 years ago, I was working in the lab, and for three years, I sat on this side of the lab bench, and my friend Chris sat on that side of the lab bench. Three years. We talked to each other six or seven days a week, all the time. We talked about our experiments. We talked about the journals we were reading and the papers were something we had heard. Chris and I, we would talk about our families. We'd talk about sports, music, anything. We, three years, we sat probably three feet apart all day. All right? Chris really knew me well. And at one point, Chris said to me, you know, Phil, you may be one of the most understanding people that I know. and one of the least compassionate. Even as I say it, I feel the dagger in my heart again. The, wait, I understood people's motivations. I understood what they were going through. I understood, and I didn't care. That wasn't who I wanted to be. And I knew that wasn't who God wanted me to be. So I began to pray. And I've prayed most of my life. Lord, help me to care. Help me to be a person of mercy. Don't allow me to become this person. How did he do that? So has God taught me to care? I don't know. It's not mine to evaluate. I don't, I can't look back and down and say, oh yeah, I'm much more caring now. I can't. But I can tell you what he did. What God did. He showed me, little by little, day by day, how much he cared for me. In the small ways, in the big ways, how much people around me cared for me. How much people had shown mercy, he had shown mercy, so that I could be merciful. He drew me back to that relationship. He didn't show me pictures of kittens and starving children and so on, which you might have thought would have made me more merciful. He showed me himself. And I think maybe I'm a beginner in learning to care. I'm not Mother Teresa. I'm not going to be a Sisters of Mercy. That isn't my personality. But I can't be someone who doesn't care. Nearly every topic in the Sermon on the Mount would have been familiar to the disciples because it's all found in the, in the Old Testament. The people of Israel were routinely called to have mercy. That was one of the fundamental teachings of their relationship with God. There are hundreds and hundreds of verses in the Old Testament that refer directly to mercy or to acting towards mercy with others. If you read the books of Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, all the laws, and you read all these laws, you say, oh, don't do this, don't do this. And there's that. But there's also the part of, here's how you care for widows. 
Here's what you do with children and orphans. Here's what you do for the poor to make sure they're getting a fair, a fair deal. Here's how you, here's how you, if somebody shows up at your doorstep, here's how you, you entertain them. If an immigrant moves into your land, here's what you do. The whole, while it's about mercy, there's so many, so much of the law is about mercy. How do you show mercy to people? One of the most common themes of the prophets, as you read the prophets, is about you're not showing mercy. Let me turn to one example from Micah chapter 6. Micah chapter 6. So let me just give you some background. Micah lived in Judah. The kingdom of Israel split into two parts, the northern kingdom called Israel, um, which had only rotten kings. None of them loved God. None of them cared about God. They, they, all right. The southern kingdom, Judah, had primarily ungodly kings, but they did have some that cared about God and that tried to be spiritual leaders. Micah lived in Judah, so in, this, in, the, in the one where there was some, some awareness of God. He lived during the time of Hezekiah, and Ahaz. Hezekiah was one of the most godly kings of, his, of Judah, one of the most godly men. Ahaz was one of the least godly. All right, so that was the environment he lived in. It was a time of peace and prosperity for the nation, although there were external enemies threatening them. And Michael te Micah tells the people, look, but people seem pretty safe, pretty good, you know, things were good. Things were pretty good. But Micah said, these enemies are going to conquer you unless you change your ways. And chapter 6 of Micah has been called the covenant lawsuit. This is where God, so Micah's being God's spokesman, and he's, all, he's being God's spokesman to the people, and the people's spokesman to God. So he's in that intermediate role there. And, it's, and God, through Micah, tells the people, you've broken the covenant. You've broken the relationship with me. You're not living like people who are in relationship with me. You're not living like citizens of my kingdom. And then he says, and then, then so starting in, Micah, in verse 6, Micah says, how do we restore this relationship? How do we restore the relationship with God? With what shall I come before the Lord? Is this up on the screen? Yeah. With what shall I come before the Lord? And bow down before the exalted God. Shall I come before him with burnt offerings? This is the, what they had been done, doing before. This is the historical Jewish religion had burnt offerings. Uh, with calves a year old? Will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams, with ten thousands rivers of oil? Shall we go back to the historical, traditional practices, only we'll do it bigger and better this time? We'll do even more rams, and we'll do more olive oil, and we'll, do, we'll just do a bigger and better version of what we used to do. Is that what God wants? Shall I offer my firstborn for my transgression, the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? 
That is, should we adopt? Ahaz, in fact, did this. He sacrificed his firstborn son. Should we, should we adopt the religion? These people around us, they seem pretty religious. Let's adopt some of their practices, even though it's nothing that God wanted. In fact, he said this was an abomination. Verse 8. He has shown, and Micah says, and God now coming back says, it's actually pretty simple. You, you've known this a long time. There's nothing, you know what this is required. He has shown you, O mortal, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? What does the Lord require of us? To act justly. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. To act justly. To love mercy. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. And to walk humbly with your God. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Let me pray. Lord, your mercy to us is, um, is incredible. Help us to see it. Help us to be aware of it. Help us to pay attention. We want to be people who care. We want to be merciful people. We, we're surrounded by a merciless world. That's the kingdom of the world. But we want to be your people so that when people look at us, they don't see somebody who lacks compassion, who doesn't care. They see somebody who is full of your caring. Help us to be people of mercy, Lord. In the name of Christ, amen.